My Ag Life is brought to you by ICL Growing Solutions, a leading global fertilizer manufacturer and exclusive miner of polyhalite, marketed as polysulfate. Learn more about ICL's cutting-edge crop nutrition solutions at icl-growingsolutions.us. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's going to be a night you will not want to miss. As a disclaimer, views expressed in interviews are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of My Ag Life, JCS Marketing, and its employees. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. All right. Hi. Welcome to My Ag Life. I'm here today with Roger Isom, who's president and CEO at Western Agricultural Processors Association. And we're here again with another regulatory update for the ag industry. There's a lot going on right now. But today, Roger, we're focusing uh, mostly on SPM or Sustainable Pest Management, which the Department of Pesticide Regulations in California is pushing pretty hard for, you know, they're, they're pushing hard right now. And there's some concerning guidelines surrounding SPM right now. What can you, what can you say to that? Well, uh, a, a couple things. First is the, the original premise of sustainable pest management. You know, when the first document was released, their initial message message was, we're going to go after the, the priority pesticides and we want to eliminate those by 2050. Well, you know, what's a priority pesticide? And when you look at it, it's things that are toxic air contaminants, the Prop 65 list, things that are groundwater contaminants, ecological hazards. It's a laundry list of of pesticides, but it's really the majority of what we use, to be frank. Any restricted materials that we have to use under very, you know, specific conditions, under a lot of controls, those are the ones they're targeting. And if you cannot sit back and think, well, we're going to work through this and find some acceptable solution, do not be fooled. This is, you know, the example was chlorpyrifos. They said all those same things. Oh, we're going to allow time for a replacement. We're going to work with the industries to find alternatives. And in the end, they took away the chemical and we have no alternatives. And so I don't for one minute believe and, and I am not going to sit here and wait for something to happen. Sustainable pest management, the way that DPR has lined it out right now, is they are going to eliminate those pesticides. And so we've got to find ways to try to preserve those or push as hard as we can to find alternatives. You know, those things just don't happen overnight. That's the thing that I think gets lost, right? Uh, when a chemical company comes up with a product it goes through years of testing to make sure one, it's efficacious. It actually kills the bug we're trying to target. And then two, it's got to go through a myriad of, of environmental testing, air quality, water quality, ecological. I mean, it it goes through an army of tests. And not only that, that's for EPA. DPR, our state California Department of Pesticide Regulation, requires additional studies. For example, under federal registration, you have to do soil. It's a residue test and how long it lasts. And 
EPA requires two of those and you get it from different states under different conditions. And California DPR says, that's good, but we want one on California soils. And so despite that you might have one from Texas and one from Mississippi, that's not good enough. You got to do an additional one from California. So that's just an example. So those aren't going to happen. Oh, hey, we're going to do away with a product this year and the next year we'll have an alternative. Absolutely not. You're talking probably from start to finish a minimum of 15 years and probably closer to somewhere between 20 and 25. You know, the registration process alone, after all the efficacy research has done, after all the environmental testing is done, you submit the application. We've got products that have been there for more than five years right now. That's This is not something that happens overnight. So people think, well, you know, we've got plenty of time. We don't. We don't. Because you're talking about, you know, one of the things that's the DPR has made very clear is, is fumigants, all fumigants. So what do we have out there that's an alternative to for fumigation? I sure as heck don't know of one. You know, there's a lot of people talking about using CO2. Is, is that effective? Does it work? It is registered. We, we know for some organic practices, but we don't know right now a clue how effective that is. Does it work on soil? Does it, you know, work for Indian meal moth? I, I have no idea. We've got to go out there and try it and test it and see if it's if it's efficacious. And even then, is that not on some other list that DPR has? Is that a greenhouse gas? You know, it's like, oh my God, if it's if CO2 is a greenhouse gas, you're not using that. So there's a lot of challenges with that. And, it, and there's these workshops that DPR is now where they're going to talk about sustainable pest management. And I think, you know, the thing that growers need to be aware of and, and the public, we've been working on this for years. Integrated pest management, if you go to UC Davis's website and try to understand what does that mean, in the simplest of terms, it's to try to minimize, reduce, even eliminate pesticide use whenever we can. And I say this all the time, and, and, I, and it just doesn't resonate with people, but it's the fact of the matter. A farmer won't spray unless he absolutely has to because every dollar he spends is a dollar out of his pocket. If I could get through the year without spraying, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I made more money than I ever have in the past. Great. Don't have to do it. Because it's not just the cost of the chemical, it's the labor, it's the equipment. It is not cheap to go out there and spray a crop. I don't care if you're spraying sulfur dioxide. It's you know, This is not, it just doesn't make economic sense to spray if you don't have to. So, the fact of the matter is there are invasive pests here. We're seeing new ones every day. You know, this year in the tree industry, we've, we've heard about and certainly more impactful on tree fruit is oriental fruit fly. Fruit fly. We've seen it in uh, Fresno County where we haven't seen it before. We've seen it in Sacramento County where we hadn't seen it before. You know, we get these little incursions throughout the state, particularly in Los Angeles, but we haven't seen that before. Now we are. We found this, uh, this beetle that we've known has been in Australia and it's a pretty damaging pest for almonds down there. We've now found it in Kings and uh, Madera counties here in California, never seen before. On cotton, we've got the cotton seed, cotton seed bug that we've seen down in Los Angeles, orange and now San Diego counties, never seen that before. Asian citrus psyllid, we've, you know, we've seen it. It's around what we'd hoped that we'd never see is the, the disease that comes along with it sometimes, HLB. Well, guess what? We found it this year in Ventura County. 
And it's not in a commercial orchard, as I understand it. It's in a residential. But man, if it's there, you know, it, it's that old saying, right? Where there's smoke, there's fire. And, and I'm, I'm really afraid of what we're going to see there. And so we've got to have every possible tool in the toolbox to, to combat this. And what's lost is when people, the general public see this, it almost makes it sound like we're not using these pesticides in a safe manner. The precautions weren't put in place that regulate how much we can spray, when we spray, buffer zones, things like that. It's like, oh my God, they're spraying some toxic chemical out there. Well, yes, it's toxic because it's meant to do damage to the insects or the weeds or whatever it's going after. But the fact of the matter is there are incredible layers of safety put into this. If it wasn't safe, it wouldn't be registered. And that's why some, some chemicals are not registered here. It's why some chemicals are not registered for every commodity. They only allow a certain amount to be used. I have six chemicals that I can use on cotton in every cotton growing state except California, but California has a higher level of environmental concerns, water quality concerns. And so those products don't meet it. They can't be used here. And so, you know, people need to know that if they got a registration, they've went through incredible risk assessments, incredible testing to ensure the safety of not only innocent bystanders, but farm workers, farmers, residents, you name it, those protections are already in place. So to go out here and say, well, we're going to ignore all that and take away the pesticide makes no sense to me. Where, where are we headed? And that's, that's a concern. And so I, I would encourage every grower. I know it's the middle of harvest. I know it's a busy time of the year, but these workshops are coming up. It's absolutely imperative that our voice is heard and that we're there and say, you know, look, if you're going to get rid of, you know, pesticide A, B, or C, where's alternative A, B, or C? We need to have those in hand. You can't take it away and then hope that 20 years down the road, you're going to have something because we're not going to be here. And, you know, this year with, with naval orange worm damage at unprecedented levels, and not just limited to San Joaquin Valley, we're seeing it up in Sacramento Valley as well. Yields are off because of naval orange worm. The loss to the growers is incredible. We need every single tool that we can get our hands on to, to combat these things. Definitely. I, I can't help but, you know, think it's it's so unfortunate how the conversation surrounding something like sustainable pest management has kind of devolved um, to this where it's almost like something that should be feared because of the guidelines the state is proposing when, you know, as you said, sustainable pest management is something that uh, a lot of folks in the state have, have been striving for for a long while. It's just kind of the way that the state itself is going about it is what is really terrifying um, and that they need to recognize that uh, a lot of folks in, in the state have have been doing these things. You know, you say that there's also this need to kind of reinvigorate the integrated pest management program within UC Cooperative Extension to kind of help with this process. Can can you explain what what that would do to to help in the sustainable pest management push? Sure. Well, let me come back to a, a point you made there a minute ago about kind of this fear and that one of the things that happened between the original release of sustainable pest management program and the recent release of their draft outline is they threw in notification and notification is where you give advanced notification to the public or some list of people that have subscribed to it of an upcoming pesticide application. 
what does that have anything to do with reducing, minimizing, eliminating pesticide use? It doesn't. It's a fear tactic. It's like the more people we get fired up against pesticides, the easier it's going to be to get rid of them. That's purely what it is. But to your point, to the last point you brought up and question you asked is, if we really want to get to the point where we were a few years ago in really building in integrated pest management, helping growers, advising growers, training growers, we need a strong IPM program with cooperative extension. And I'm not talking about the research side. I mean, we, we need that element, but we need the people in the field working with growers, visiting a field, looking at counts. Hey, here's what I've got. Do I need to spray? Do I not need to spray? Should I spray this or that? Is there something else going on that's causing that problem? What about my neighbors? How am I working with my neighbors? That institutional knowledge uh, has gone away. We've lost a lot of great researchers that have been you know, very slow to be replaced. We, we need that. Growers rely upon that. We used to hold meetings all the time in cotton where we would bring growers to, to regional meetings at critical times of the year. Like for example, late summer, we'd have an ape and white fly meeting so we could tell growers, hey, what to look for, when to spray, uh, what counts before you do spray, things like that. Um, that's lost. It, it really is lost. I mean, I think we do a, a pretty good job of it in tree nuts, but we grow a lot of other commodities where we're not doing that anymore because it's just, it's, it's lost. And on cotton, we, we don't, we don't have those people anymore. So if there's one positive thing that could come out of sustainable pest management, that is certainly one of them. It's, it's building that, that educational aspect that assistance aspect of pest management. I'll call it that because that's, you know, we've always done it. It's always been a, a critical element, an essential element to, to helping us. And it's just gone away. So that's one we, we absolutely need. We used to develop guidelines, one pagers on, hey, here's what to look for and here's what you should do. Just general guidelines. Some of the new pests that we're seeing, you know, I was talking to an almond grower here yesterday up in the Rip and Manteca area, and he was talking about brown marmorated stink bug, numbers they've never seen before. What are growers doing? What should growers do? I don't know. You know, what what is what are what should they be looking for? This new, this new beetle. Hell, never even heard of it before, let alone what I should do for it. And so, you know, we need that put back in. And if anything, built up from where it is today. Certainly. Thanks for that insight, Roger. We're going to be right back after a word from our sponsors. Growth is at the heart of everything we stand for. And at ICL, we don't just talk about what might be possible in the future. We actively work with you to create it every day. Our full range of plant nutrition products, including controlled release, water-soluble, liquid, and specialty granular fertilizers may help you grow more with less. Learn more at icl-growingsolutions.us. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Jesse Waters, co-host of Fox News at the International Agri Center in Tulare, California. Tickets are extremely limited for this one night only experience and they will sell out. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's gonna be a night you will not wanna miss. Don't miss your only chance to see Jesse Waters here in the heart of California on November 2nd. Reserve your spot now at myaglife.com forward slash myagnite. 
the guidelines that the DPR is proposing around SPM month, you know, they also create this concern about how are all these things even going to be paid for? You know, on this show before, Roger, we've discussed something like uh, a mill tax being put in, but that's not good at all because you're just paying to be regulated even more, as you say. What what are the options? Unfortunately, right now, especially with the state budget the way that it is, that's the way they're looking. They they are going to tax us to pay for this. It's going to be a substantial the current mill tax proposal increase right now is $54.9 million. That's going to be all on the backs of growers. And so uh, I don't see any other way right now, especially with this budget. Like I said, there could be some things of it, but really we're paying to regulate ourselves out of existence. Definitely. And one thing you, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, not to continue to be a downer on the subject, but, you know, fumigants, you, you, you spoke a little bit on it, the, the tree nut side, uh, especially, uh, you know, should be worried about the the future of, of fumigant options in the state. It's being targeted by this SPM push. What what is the what do the next like five to ten years look like for for a fumigant user? Challenging. We've just seen a recent challenge where they tried to regulate sulfurofluoride as a greenhouse gas and take take that away from us. This program here. SPM has, you know, DPR has been very vocal. Fumigants are a target. We're looking. We don't see anything right on the horizon right now, but we are definitely looking. We've we've had some researchers talk to us about cold fusion, you know, some other things that are kind of, I'll call it drawing board stuff that, that we might be able to do. You know, when people, the natural alternatives, people talk about heat. Well, you apply heat to a commodity, you're doing damage. You're not just hurting the insect, you're probably doing some kind of damage, at the very least changing the taste or shortening the shelf life. Uh, that's at the very least, if not just completely damaging the product. So, you know, what what's going to happen there? And I think about almonds coming in from the orchard, you know, that are going to sit there for two months before I can get them whole. What am I going to do? I, you know, they're they're out there in the on the yard. I mean, I can't bring them in, treat them, and then put them back out there. Uh, you know, fumigants or fumigation is really the only way to be able to do that, that, that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. So we're going to keep looking. We've got researchers both with UC and others, but right now there's, there, I don't see anything out there that that's, uh, you know, a replacement for us. But again, I, I, I simply ask when you look at all the risk assessments, when you look at the registration that EPA and DPR originally done, have done, Where's the issue? Where is the issue? Just to simply say we want to do away with it when it's perfectly safe makes no sense. And it's going to do economic harm. You're going to eliminate jobs because you're eliminating commodities. You're taking away our ability to produce a safe food for not only you know this country, but the world. And you're, you're taking away our ability to protect that. I, I don't get it. Definitely. And, you know, another thing that's that's happening right now that Western Ag Processors Association, Rogers, is directly involved with is the the testing for the SPM, you know, certification and licensing that the requirements have been changed, they've been upped. And the, the testing for the SPM certification and licensing is seeing an increased number of, of failure, failures really due to the difficulty of this test, what is what is Western Ag Processors Association doing to 
to, to help folks out there. So, so this is really, it's even beyond SPM. It's really every pesticide applicator. They're changing the certification and testing requirements. They're making it more difficult. They're trying to, to make sure people are safe when they're doing this. And in some cases, like for a lot of our members, uh, on the non-soil fumigation, they've created a whole new separate category in and of itself called category M. You, boy, this test is hard. You've got to study for it. We have taken a, a, a product study guide PowerPoint that Cardinal Professional Products has developed. We've put that to every one of our members to help them and, and their people that are going to be certified study. We've been pushing for the publication, the study guide publication to get out there for uh, fumigation, non-soil fumigation. And we're just trying to advise our members, get out there early, get tested early. Do not wait till the last minute. We had hoped, and we're part of a coalition that we're, we're trying to get this thing extended. Excuse me, and DPR has, has basically held fast to the fact that, no, it's going to be done by the end of the year. And so if, if anybody's out there on the fence or waiting for something to happen, don't. Uh, get in there and do it now. I think the last I heard talking to some of our members, from the day you apply to the test, it's about 30 days. And it's only going to get harder as it gets closer. So I just tell people, do not. Do not wait. You're 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 going to be in trouble if you're waiting. Definitely. And kind of shifting gears here, Roger, to one other area of focus. The Environmental Protection Agency for the U.S. You know, sent out their first proposal about how they're going to regulate under the Endangered Species Act. You were mentioning before we hit record on the show that these regulations so far aren't making a whole lot of sense at all. Can you kind of explain why? Sure. You know, I've, I've been doing this for a long time for, you know, on the regulatory side for 31 years. And I was a regulator before that for three years out of college. This, you, you know, EPA was challenged, sued and challenged that they needed to address endangered species with pesticide registration. So, you know, certainly they're, they're doing that, but their initial proposal out the gate is uh, challenging at the very least. It's one of the most complicated things I have ever seen. You've got to look at maps. You've got to do it by product. You've got to look at a list of practices. Depending on the map that you're on, you've got to meet a certain amount of points. So you've got to do a certain amount of practices to, to basically to mitigate your, your herbicide use. And it's, man, what a complicated mess, depending on which product you're using in which area. And then and there's some areas, like, if, for example, if you have tile drains, which a lot of our guys on the cotton side do, on the west side, it doesn't work. It's not allowed. So we don't know what to do because you, you can't spray Roundup or anything else out there. What, what are we going to do? And it's not just California. There's a lot of places where you, you use tile drains. So that's a problem. And if we're having this much difficulty with just herbicides, what are we going to do when we get to insecticides and fungicides and layer that over the top of these? I, I can tell you, this is what I do. And a lot of us can't figure this thing out uh, and work through it. So we've all been submitting comments. We're encouraging growers to submit comments. It's not workable, their initial plan. Understand it. I know what they're trying to do. And they're trying to, you know, Basically, in some senses, they're trying to help us because 
A lot of the practices are funded by NRCS. So great if you qualify for NRCS or you haven't maxed out your NRCS, you know, do you, you know, do you meet the AGI limitation? Do you, uh, you know, are you under the payment limitations? You know, depending on the house, the size of the grower, you could be in, a, that could be a problem or an issue. So, I, you know, part of that there, I, I understand what they're doing, but overall, this is a completely unworkable uh, proposal. And if, like I said, you can go to EPA and, and look up their ESA uh, herbicide strategy and walk through it. I challenge anybody, and I'm sure there's some growers out there that have doctorates to work through that and tell me if you can make it work and understand it and explain it to me and, you know, call me anytime here in my office because I'd love to understand it. I've sat through four grower and chemical company, lack of a better word, demonstrations, if you will, of them trying to explain how to do this. And I'm telling you, at the end of every one of those, I'm still scratching my head trying to make it make sense. I think I get the basic gist after four of them, but then I try to say, okay, well, how am I going to do it? And, you know, on any given day, which product are you using? Where am I located? Because I got to find on where on the map and which one am I subject to? And holy cow, it's a mess. And, and again, there's not a lot of herbicides we use. So when we lay over insecticides, that's when it's going to become a real challenge, a real challenge. And one of the other things too is these maps of these endangered uh, species areas. They're much broader than where we're actually finding the endangered species. You know, a lot of cases it's very localized, but the map has, you know, broad, huge areas. And so people that think that, oh, I'm, I'm not anywhere near the Buena Vista Lake Shrew. You might be addressing the Buena Vista Lake Shrew because you're in Kern County uh, or you're in, you know, uh, Tulare County. And so you, nah, that's close enough. So we're going to protect it. And so, I, again, I encourage growers to look through it and make sure they weigh in. They have to weigh in on this comment period that's open right now. And there's easy ways to do it. You can contact our office and we can walk them through it. But boy, it is something that has to be done. Definitely. Well, Roger, thanks for explaining to the the best of your abilities, the confusing set of regulations there. You know, as always with these, you know, kinds of regulatory updates and topics, we we try to end on a positive note. Anything going on in the regulatory space, Roger, that folks in the ag industry have, you know, to look forward to, anything changing, anything on the up and up? Not that I'm aware of. You know, we, the governor just signed some more legislation. One of them is going to increase the paid sick leave from three to five days. That's going to impact growers even more. We've got an increased minimum wage. And, you know, if you're looking down the road, you know, they just paid fast, for, fast food workers, you know, $20 an hour and the healthcare industry, 25 It won't be long, folks, before everybody. And, you know, when nobody else in the country is looking at those wages or nobody in countries that we compete against pay those wages, it's going to make it more and more difficult. You know, this this governor, despite the, the, the budget limitations and that, you know, we're seeing continual push to electrify. I don't know where that's going to come from. We're certainly lacking on the infrastructure. We're seeing huge rate increases. Um, yeah, I, I struggle to find something positive at, at the moment. You know, maybe the only positive thing I can say is that uh, everybody, you know, the weather 
forecasters are calling this El Nino and that we might have another wet winter. Hopefully not too wet, but hopefully wet enough to help us keep recharging these aquifers that we've been doing this last year. And hopefully that'll help because, you know, that's a challenge where you haven't talked about yet. And that's Sigma and the reality that these limits are being set. We've got some areas like Tulare County and Kern County where there's still a lot of battling between GSAs within the same subbasin. And, you know, the state has stepped in. And I could just tell everybody, nothing good comes from the state. Nothing. So you guys have got to figure this out at the local level or the state's going to tell us what to do. And I'm just telling you, it, it ain't going to be good. There's nothing good comes from the state. So we've got to, to figure out a way to do that there. Definitely. Well, Roger, we appreciate your honesty, of course, on the show, good or bad. And we also appreciate anyone that's stayed listening till the very end here. You know, we know these these topics can can sometimes be hard to stomach, uh, especially, you know, if you're directly involved with growing or processing. But we we appreciate you for listening. And, and Roger, thanks for for updating folks on, on what's happening in the regulatory space, as usual. Taylor, anytime. Definitely. This is Taylor Charleston from My Ag Life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for updates, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.